0: Hi. Hey Rachel. Hi Claire. Um welcome to Crime and Wine.
1: I'm so happy to be here. I feel
0: very special being the first um guest. You are the first guest. Um so this uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm not going to do it.
1: Yeah, so um yeah, I'm Claire. Um I'm Rachel's friend. Um <laughs> live in london too um and like rachel i'm definitely like a bit of a true crime and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: i am not studying criminology i have no expert knowledge um but i've definitely um, racked up thousands of hours listening <laughs> to true crime podcasts <laughs> um, i am constantly just getting lost in reddit the- feeds and yeah, I have pretty much watched every true crime documentary that's came out over the past decade. So, I feel like, um, yeah, I'm qualified. An to expert in some ways. <laughs>
0: you're you're super qualified, um, <laughs> and you're you're from Scotland. We should mention. Yeah.
1: Yes, I am. Um, I'm from Glasgow, um, and I've been living in London for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to kind of yeah. Tell a little story from Glasgow today.
0: You are gonna tell a story. Um um can I tell you really quick that I am on episode thirty-six of Married at First Sight Australia? (laughs) Yes, you're getting there. I'm so proud of you. I am getting there. I like I just want I mean, spoiler to anybody who I mean, I just started watching this season six, series six, but I hate Mike and Heidi. I I like Heidi, but I hate Mike and Heidi together.
1: Oh yeah, they're so toxic. It's they're ridiculous. The fucking they're, worst. The worst match ever. I, yeah. I think
0: I'd... that these experts that place these couples together don't really. I think that they these people aren't really supposed to be together. They just do it for our own entertainment because they are not suited at all. Like he
1: doesn't yeah, listen to I anything. Think they... Yeah, they must honestly. I think they just put a couple of like in there that are complete opposites just for entertainment value. Like, I remember when they paired Jess and Mick. Is it? And yeah, they were like, yeah, she's a city girl. She's an influencer. She like loves glam nights out, and he's a farmer. And like, he's like, like, I love my sheep. Uh, yeah I it's totally for entertainment value these people are not supposed to be
0: together no and Mike is like they just went on their final date and he's like you're gonna love this and takes her on a ship and she's (laughs) like I've told him so many times I hate boats I don't know why he's taking me on a final date and then they like flash to like Cam and Jules who are the most boring couple but that's only because they're great and they love each other And that they have such a romantic date. And then Heidi just goes and she apologizes for being like uh, pushing him away. And then they're sitting at the dinner, the final dinner. And she's like saying that she apologized. And and he's like, yeah, I, I can't take any fault whatsoever. And they're like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I haven't done anything wrong. And we're like, it's all you, dude. She's like, I'm terrified of
1: boats, get seasick, hate boats. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Let me take you on a boat. He's like, climb
0: up here. We're on this ship. Listen, (laughs) look at the harbor. Isn't this great? And she's like, talking to the camera, she's like, I just don't get it. I just hate boats. (laughs) (laughs) They've been together for two months. Meanwhile, you have Jess, who's been cheating on her husband with this uh, absolute, idiot guy guy with no neck no neck no neck at all and he's about and she's about to sit ask him I mean they showed in the previews that she's about to be like do you love me and it, they've been together for one week like what is she what is like could you ever imagine like dating a guy and one week later being like so are you in love with me yet or what
1: and she fully expects the yeah absolutely i'm in love with you let's we're we're essentially married now
0: i'm gonna have to talk to you after i finish watching it because (laughs) after we get off here i'm gonna finish the episode um because i'm halfway through it and i'm i I feel like i mean don't tell me but i feel like he's (laughs) gonna be like no i don't love you yet gary cut that out
1: just wait i'm i'm yeah Please let me know when you've watched that. I need to Yeah, and I then I need
0: to hear your reaction. I need I still haven't spoiled it for myself by looking at um Gary, cut that out. <laughs> Gary's burrowing, you know, when he they like start like clawing at things. He's like trying to yeah. burrow into the bed. But it's because I have his dinner right oh. here. And he has 15 minutes to go and he's just looking at the food he wants to eat. He knows. Um, he's
1: like, yeah, stop holding out on
0: he, me. He has a clock, an internal clock. Um, but <laughs> uh, I want to, I really badly want to look at um Michael and what's the one with the long black hair? Martha. Martha. Because you said that to look at like, there's some plastic surgery that's been done, but I haven't looked yet.
1: Yeah um you're almost there I'm probably. almost there
0: I'm yeah, just really just wait, oh, worth it. I really want to um what's today is Thursday it's April Fool's did you do any April Fool's jokes on anyone I didn't I completely forgot um
1: completely forgot that it was April Phil's. The only reason I remembered is because um, our beauty editor at work was getting all of these April Fools emails from PR's and mm-hmm. um, basically with all this like random um, like new skincare lines. Like there was one that was like, you can match your foundation to your butthole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. people would buy that. I think probably. I mean, yeah. How do you, how could you tell I mean I guess you'd really have to get get in there, get a big mirror. <laughs> Dep- I guess maybe not that big of a mirror, but like I mean, depends how big it d- is. Depends on how big your butt is. Um yeah. yeah. I mean I I went to the to get a coffee and get a gazpacho and a pano chocolate and they didn't have oh. the gazpacho or the pano chocolate and I just just my day went downhill from there. I just thought and the the April Fools joke that I tried to pull kind of backfired. So uh what ba- did you try to do? Um I made a joke to Simon that I was going home for 3 weeks to um the United States to get my vaccine um and he's like that's great like you're gonna see your family and get the vaccine that's great and I was like yeah oh I
1: but I'm I gonna know. but I'm gonna be
0: gone for three weeks isn't that and yeah it just it didn't work so um oh. not trying not trying that again I guess yeah, <laughs> <It was laughs> yeah that really fell flat super fail it was not <laughs> it wasn't funny nobody laughed um and I was just like I, I guess I'll just I guess I'll just go get a chocolate croissant and then there wasn't one. So I came home. Um, I'm not having the best day, but I'm about to, do, do you want me to go first? I'm going to tell you about, um, you probably know of it because it's also, well, it's Scotland slash Manchester,
1: I think. Okay. Yeah. Should I, do, you, do you want
0: me to go first? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Let's let's hop in. Oh God, maybe I'll edit that part out. Um, so, is, <laughs> have you heard of the Moors murders? Oh no, I haven't. Oh yay! Okay, so let me tell you about the Moors murders. So, um, this this is starring Ian Brady and Myra or Mira. I don't know how M M-Y-R- Y R yeah Ma- myra myra, okay, Myra hindley, they are a power couple murder duo team
1: oh.
0: yeah, um super power couple Ian and and myra, okay, so um the year is nineteen sixty one and it is January and 18-year-old Myra is working as a typist which probably a lot of women did at the time cool cool um she soon becomes infatuated with uh Ian Brady who I'm going to refer to from the rest from from now on as Brady um despite learning that he has a criminal record so he's this he's a bad boy um what a catch. What? what a catch what a catch yeah Well, just you wait. So Myra, (laughs) as 18-year-old girls do, or, I mean, I guess all girls. I mean, she starts a diary. I had a diary. that It had a lock on it. And then, like, I remember I think my siblings broke into it and, like, made fun of me. Um, It was like, I hate Kristen Oakley. And then the next day I'd be like, Kristen's my best friend. (laughs) This is quite boring. Um, Anyway, so... Although so Myra starts her diary and although she has had dates with other men that she writes about in her in her diary, most of her entries are detailed about her fascination with Brady, um, whom she eventually speaks to for the first time on July 27th of 1961. Mind you. So it's been from January to July. She hasn't said anything to him for what is that seven months? Yeah, And she just keeps writing to him. That sounds very high school, like the guy that you would be like walking – I don't know what the high schools are like in Glasgow, but in New York, it's like you have the full-on like lockers like in the movies and Mm -hmm. the the bell rings and you go down the hall and you have three minutes to get to your next class and you you go the route that you hope you're going to pass your high school crush. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the same. Right. (laughs) So – Myra finally speaks to him on July 27th, big day. And then over the next few months, she continues writing about him in her diary and becomes increasingly disillusioned with him until December 22nd. So another, what, six months later, um, Brady finally asks her to go on a date to the movies. And sources say that the first film that they saw together was Judgment at Nuremberg. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god. The romance. The romance. Like, you just can't get enough of this duo. Um, and so from then on, their dates follow this kind of regular pattern where they go on a trip to the cinema, they watch an X-rated film, they go back to Myra's house to drink German wine. Have you ever had German wine?
1: I have
0: um
1: I actually had some on a wine tasting last week but I mean it's, oh. it's, it's quite, it's quite acidic though it's like it's not it's not the best but
0: you were on a wine tasting
1: last week yeah like a virtual one for um, ah. with my work which was quite fun
0: tell tell us where you work for really quick side note so because I feel like oh, we're gonna get yeah.
1: Yeah, I work for Refinery29, which is like um an online women's um like lifestyle magazine, I guess. Um yeah, so pretty
0: well known. I feel yeah. like everybody would know. Yeah. Um I don't think I've ever had German wine nor I mean maybe it's stupid I just thought like Italian, French, California, South American wine is like I didn't know the Germans were big into it.
1: I, I thought those was feel like more it's like their, beer their best their best talent like I think they're much better at beer
0: and cars, yeah, exactly yeah, good at cars um okay, so they're going back to Meyer's house after they've seen this x rated film they've had some German wine um and then they would spend their lunch breaks um reading aloud to one another um um reading uh accounts of um Nazi atrocities so you know, just imagine the two sitting down, drinking wine, feeding each other grapes, and just reading about some stuff the Nazis did to people. So
1: um,
0: from then on, Myra began to emulate the Aryan perfection by bleaching her hair blonde and applying thick red lipstick. So she's really getting into it. She's such a dedicated
1: character. Like, she really likes... I yeah she's tried for 12 months to get this
0: guy and now she's like yeah she yeah yeah she's got him he took her to see judgment at nuremberg and she's like what can i do let me get the german wine let me dye my hair blonde um And I need this guy, Brady, to really, like, be into me. Um, I mean, hey, we've all done something stupid to get somebody to like us, right? Like, pretended that you were into something? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. She takes it to another level, though. But (laughs) here we go. So she begins expressing some concern for some aspects of Brady's character, such as writing her friend a letter about an incident where she had been drugged by him, But then she continues writing about her obsession with him. And then a few months later, she writes to her friend and she's like, Hey, can you destroy that letter? Um, which I don't think her friend destroyed because I think it comes back later and in evidence or something. But anyway, she continues to change her appearance. She starts wearing risque clothing, such as high boots, short skirts and leather jackets, which is like all I wear in the fall. So I'm not sure who, yeah. Like who wrote this? Um, and then the pair became uh, less and less sociable with their colleagues, which also I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, I'm kind of with them, but sorry, that that's dark. Um, they began taking out books at the library on crime and torture, which... I feel like that's all I read as well. So I was like being a bit concerned because then the books that they're reading are including um, Marquis de Sade, which I've read some of his works and then Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, which I've also read, which a lot of people Yeah, have read. I mean,
1: there's a pattern here. Like, yeah,
0: I know. Am I about to reveal something on the podcast? <laughs> um, they, the duo had planned a few robberies, but it never came to anything. And then they became interested in photography um, so the, their lives kind of sound like me in my twenties, like not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Like, do I want to rob people? Do I want to become a photographer? <laughs> like, I'm not really sure. Mom, like, what do I want to do? Um, then they, but then, um, uh, my similarities with with them stop now. Um, they begin taking explicit photos of each other. Um, which apparently was a huge change from Myra's more shy, prudish nature. <clears throat> so um by let's see so they met in 1961 so now it is 1963 and by june of that year brady had moved in with myra at her grandmother's which is sexy and then myra claims that brady soon began to talk about committing the perfect murder in july so he'd only been living with her at her grandma's for a year and then by july um or not a year a month sorry and then by like the following month he's like let's you know commit the perfect crime which is what crime and punishment is about really um although they have spoiler alert for dostoyevsky's book they you know who he's eaten alive by what he's done uh these people are not um <clears throat> so after work on july 12th brady instructs myra to drive a borrowed van around while he follows on his motorcycle and he spots their first victim so brady signals for myra to stop but she doesn't stop because she recognizes the victim to be an eight-year-old girl that is uh, her mom's neighbor so she's like we're not gonna pick up this eight-year-old girl so they keep driving around, and then later that evening, um, around 7.30 p.m., Brady spots a girl named Pauline Reed, who attended school with Myra's younger sister. Um, and Pauline is on her way to dance class, and so they offer her a ride. And Myra later states that she thought that there would be less attention given to the di- disappearance of a teenager rather than an eight-year-old girl, hmm. which is, like, quite fucked. Um so once Pauline is in the van, Myra asked her to help in searching Saddleworth more for an expensive lost glove. And Pauline agrees, which is like, if somebody picked me up and I'm on my way somewhere and they're like, Hey Rach, do you mind coming with me to this fucking bog and helping me find a glove? I'd be like, no, no, like, I no. Don't take ha- me to dance class. <laughs> like, I gotta go to dance. I'm trying to learn this this dance route. I have a recital coming up, and I don't have time to find your one glove. Go get it yourself. I'm trying to impress a guy with my dance moves. You can relate. <laughs> we both yeah, have guys don't to impress. Don't you know? But Pauline, the sweetheart, uh, she agrees, and so, um, so sorry. I'm gonna edit this. P- from right now out, but do you hear an echo, or is it just me?
1: No, I'm not hearing anything.
0: Okay, well, it's just me. All right. Okay, so when Brady pulls up on his motorcycle, Myra tells Pauline that he's going to help them look for the glove. So, Myra claims to have waited in the van while Brady takes Pauline out to the moor, and after 30 minutes, he returns without her, and then um brings Myra back to the moor which what what is a moor really um
1: I mean it's like very like Heathcliff on the moor it's very Wuthering Heights yeah yeah um I I guess it's just like a field like yeah
0: a fancy word for a field I pictured it as like soggy yeah and... like
1: yeah probably like surrounded by trees and like a yeah close to close to water or like some kind of swamp area
0: yeah like a swampy damp cold place which yeah like what were you doing out there and that you lost your glove just the one glove <laughs> so um after he returns he t- he asked Myra to go back to the moor um where Pauline is laying there dying her clothes are in disarray and she has been nearly decapitated by two cuts to her throat. Um, one of them being a four-inch incision around her voice box into which um, Brady had pushed the collar of her coat inside. Oh, um, Yeah. And when Myra asked Brady whether he had raped Pauline, he replies, of course I did. But. Um, in Brady's account of the murder, Myra was present for the attack and also participated in the sexual assault. She apparently wasn't waiting in the car. Like, like she had said, Oh, Oh, Gary, you want dinner? Want to eat? Come here. Okay. Um, okay. So that was in July. So they, they murder Pauline Reed. Um, So then a few months later, on November 23rd, Brady and Myra um, offer 12-year-old John Kilbride a lift home, saying that his parents might worry that he was out so late. Um, And they offer him a bottle of sherry. Um, And once he's inside Myra's car, Brady said that they have to make a detour to their home for the sherry. But on the way, Brady suggests they go to the moor because Myra lost her fucking glove. They keep going with Honestly, this glove this story. Glove,
1: who is buying this story? I just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you could be like an expensive earring,
0: but how expensive can a glove be? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like this was the glove before the O.J. glove, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is really the glove story. Um, so twelve-year-old John is like okay i'll go with you i mean so they reach the moor um and brady sexually assaults kill Bride and tries to slit his throat with a six inch serrated blade before strangling him with a shoelace or a string and this is all while myra is supposedly waiting in the car can you hear gary eating no i can't okay <laughs> okay cool <laughs> I have a lot of editing to do. I'm probably not going to edit that out. Um, Okay. So fast forward now to June 16th of the following year. uh, So it's 1964. And Myra asks 12 year old Keith Bennett, who's on his way to his grandma's house for some help loading boxes into her mini pickup after which she says she'll drive him home. Um, But surprise Brady is in the back of the van and, Myra drove a lay-by. What was a lay-by? Do you know? Um I feel like
1: no, I don't know any of these things. No, I feel like it's like <laughs> you would maybe like pull your car into it if you were if you were gonna break down or there was something oh. like by the side of the
0: road, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Thank you. Okay, so Myra drives to a lay-by on the moor, um, where Brady Goes off with Bennett, supposedly looking for this goddamn lost glove <laughs> okay. after about thirty. <laughs> Have you had enough of oh, the glove story? Yes, absolutely yeah, yeah. I feel like
1: they their like stories are getting better, like she wants help loading a van, yeah, like, that's believable, but now, like yeah, back to the glove,
0: yeah, that's very um Ted Bundy of her with the help in the yeah. van, right? I feel like he yeah. Um, after about 30 minutes, Brady returns alone, carrying a spade. What's a spade? Um, Is that like a shovel? A shovel. Yeah. (laughs) I'm learning so much. (laughs) Um, so he's, he's carrying a spade that he had hidden in the moor earlier. Um, and into response and in response to Myers questions, he says that, yes, he sexually assaulted Bennett and then strangled him with a piece of string. He's only 12 years old. This little boy. Oh okay. Um then the next uh crime is on December twenty sixth, nineteen sixty four. The couple visit a fun fair in Ancoats. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know that's that nice. right. <laughs> Okay. Is that in England or Scotland? Uh <laughs> It Th- doesn't matter, does it? The worst, the geography. <laughs> Do not. Okay, go- Okay. cool. Um. So they're in Ann Coates and they notice a uh, 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey, who is apparently alone. And they approach her and they deliberately drop some shopping they were carrying. And they ask her to help them take packages to their car. And um then they go to Brady and Myra's house where little Leslie Ann Downey is undressed, gagged, and forced to pose for photographs before being raped and killed, perhaps being strangled with a piece of string. I think they're unsure. Um, Myra later states that she went to fill a bath for Downey and found her dead when she returned. But Brady claims that Myra is the one who did kill Downey. Um, The following regardless, the following morning, Brady and Myra draw drive Downey's body to the moor and they bury her um, naked with her clothes at her feet in a shallow grave which is horrible Um, then fast forward to 1965 the following year and it's October 6th and Myra drives Brady to Manchester Central Railway Station where she waits outside in the car while he selects a victim And after a few minutes, Brady reappears in the company of seventeen-year-old Edward Evans, who is an apprentice engineer who lived in Ardwick. Is that familiar? Mm, Absolutely not. I
1: guess it's going to be around
0: Manchester, though. He. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. And um, Brady introduces um, Myra as his sister. Um, and. They drive back to Brady and Myers' home at Wardle Brook Avenue, where they relax over a bottle of red wine. Um, I wonder if it was German wine. It didn't say.
1: <laughs> Has to be. They, they only drink the finest German wine.
0: Yeah, it's exclusively German. I think I'm going to have to look for some now. And maybe next time we hang out, we can drink German wine. Yeah.
1: Or was, it, was
0: it that good?
1: I'm sure there's got to be like a good bottle out there. We can, we can do some research.
0: Okay, let's do it. Or people can tell us. Tell us if you know of any good German wine. Okay. Um, at some point, Brady sends Myra to fetch Smith. Um, now, Smith is Myra's brother-in-law. Um, Myra has a little sister named Maureen, which we will learn a little bit more about in a bit. Um, so Brady goes and gets Smith. And Myra's family had not approved of Maureen marrying Smith, um, because he had several criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and housebreaking. Um, the first of which was wounding with intent and occurred when he was 11 years old. So both of these sisters, Myra and Maureen are just like, they really like the bad boy.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Runs in the family.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's anything I've really ever been into. I like a good boy. And that's also why I got Gary. Exactly, and Gary's the best boy. He is the best boy, right, Gary? He won't even look at me. <laughs> um, so, th- throughout the previous year, Brady had been cultivating a friendship with Smith, who had become in awe of Brady. Which I don't know what the fuck, like, why everyone's like, you know, so over the moon with Brady, but apparently, <clears throat> um yep don't know what I was gonna say there, but um him being Smith being in awe of Brady was something that really worried Myra because she felt that it was going to compromise their safety and I'm gonna spoiler alert and tell you Myra wasn't wrong, okay, so myra turns Myra returns with Smith and tells him to wait outside for her signal, which is a flashing light, and so when she flashes the light, Smith knocks on the door and he is met by Brady who asks him if he had come for the miniature wine bottles. And he leaves Smith in the kitchen saying that he's going to go collect the wine. So, Smith later tells the police, quote, I waited about a minute or two, then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and I saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian, who is that's Brady, was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. So Mm. Smith then watches Brady um, kill Evans with a length of electrical cord. Um, And in doing so, Brady sprains his own ankle in the struggle. And Evans' body was too heavy for Smith to carry to the car on his own. So they wrap Evan's body in plastic sheeting and they put it in this his body in the spare bedroom. So the following morning, Smith agrees to return with his baby's pram, um, which they're gonna everyone they're gonna
1: put a fill grown body and a pram.
0: Yeah, so that's like a for people that in case they don't know, it's a stroller. I know that one.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: but they're, they're gonna put this 17 year old. Uh, boy's body which like at 17 your you know body could potentially be like a grown man's body and you're you're heavy you're not like a 12 year old kid but yeah they're gonna put it in the baby's stroller Um, yeah I
1: mean the logic behind that sure
0: (laughs) yeah I don't know how that's gonna look um wheelchair may be better or
1: wheelbarrow I don't know or
0: wheelbarrow yeah Um, where am I? The following morning, Smith agrees to return with his baby's pran, right? For use in transporting Evan's body to the car before disposing of it, um, on the moor. And he arrives home around 3 a.m. and he asks his wife, Maureen, um, Myra's sister, to make a cup of tea, which he drinks before vomiting and telling her what he had just witnessed. So it's still it's still the same night basically it's just 3 a.m. so at at 6:10 a.m. having waited for daylight and armed himself with a screwdriver and a bread knife cuz like god these these people are so they well, really I'm are like, what, what happened to the hatchet like this guy is getting ready with a pram. he's got the pram ready he's got a bread knife and he's like yeah i hope he doesn't come in here because i'm waiting for him <laughs> Um, so, um, that's in case Brady's planning on coming and hurting him. Um, right. And then Smith calls the police from a phone box on the estate, um, and is picked up by a police car from the phone box and taken to Hyde police station where he tells the officers that, you know, he witnessed, um, Brady and Myra killing Evans. So, Superintendent Bob Talbot of the Stally Bridge Police Division Go there, there Thank you. <laughs> goes to the house at wardlebrook avenue that where where Brady and Meyer live um and he's wearing a bread deliveryman's overall on top of his police uniform, <laughs> which you know. It's pretty funny seeing as Smith was armed with a bread knife before.
1: The bread knife, yeah. There's just so many callbacks. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, And he asks Myra at the back door if her husband is home. And Myra denies that she has a husband or that um, he was in the house. um, And that's when Bob Talbot is like, I'm a cop. And Myra's like, fuck. And so she takes him to the living room Um, by the way, I don't know if these are the words that Myra and Bob Talbot said. This is just me paraphrasing probably what happened. (laughs) And Myra's (laughs) like, oh, fuck. Okay. Um, and she takes him into the living room where Brady is lying on a divan, divan, divan. What is that? Yeah. Um, like a, it's like a type of sofa. Should I know that? No, I
1: feel like it's very Okay, British. cool,
0: cool. Thank you for making me feel better. I'm learning so, mu- so many words. So many um, words. So he's lying on the divan, right? Divan? Div- divan. Divan. And he's writing divan. to his employer about his ankle injury, being like, hey, can't come into work today, hurt my ankle. <laughs> Which is like, I've probably written that same thing. <laughs> like. Yeah, we all have so many similarities. So Talbot, Bob Talbot explains that he's investigating an act of violence involving guns that was reported to have taken place the previous evening. And Myra denies that there's been any violence and allows the police to look around the house. And when the police ask for the key to the locked spare bedroom, which is where, you know, Evan's dead body is, um, she says that um, it's it's her workplace, so no, they, they can't go in. But after police offered to take her to retrieve the keys, Brady tells her to just hand over the keys. And when police return to the living room, they arrest Brady on suspicion of murder. Um, and as Brady is getting dressed, he says, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. Which is like... <laughs> Dude, don't you know, like, to just not say anything. Don't, don't say anything. And
1: Yeah, these, again, these people are amateurs. They They're really are. Not... Okay.
0: So Myra is not initially arrested, but demands that she goes to the police station. Um, and she brings her dog. um, Just Puppet. Her dog's name is Puppet. Um, Which is kind of a cute name for a dog, isn't it? that's kind of cute i i
1: yeah i'm kind of surprised that she, I know. she called her dog that i was expecting something more
0: german yeah you're right hearing. like adolf <laughs> <laughs> um i've seen photos of puppet he's a really cute dog um she refused to make any statements beyond saying that it was an accident But um, on October 11th, she is arrested and charged as an accessory to the murder of Evans. So then the police go back to Wardle Brook Avenue house where they were living. And they find an old exercise book with the name John Kilbride, which is the 12-year-old kid that they picked up when they were using the glove bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And that makes the police... Obviously, suspect that Brady and Myra are involved in his disappearance and probably of some of the other kids who have been disappearing over the last five or whatever so years. Um, upon further search, the police find a suitcase with the nine pornographic photographs taken of the 10 year old girl, Downey. Naked with a scarf tied around her mouth, and there's also a 16 minute audio tape recording of a girl identifying herself as Leslie Ann Weston, screaming, crying, and pleading to be allowed to return home to her mother. Um, and they have Downey's mo- mother later confirm that the recording is of her 10 year old daughter. She's like, I
1: yeah as a mother having to listen yeah it makes me just be
0: like not want to have kids when it's like look at all the things that could go wrong i don't know how i'm alive Uh, (laughs) i know i don't want to be responsible for another no it's hard enough gary he ate a chicken he ate a chicken (laughs) wing or chicken bone off the side of off the sidewalk the other day and i'm just like that's another vet bill right there but he's fine right gary again no response um the officers go and they speak to the neighbors um including 12 year old Patricia Hodges who on several occasions has been taken to the moors by Myra and Brady and uh, so I don't know why they didn't kill her um but she Patricia 12 year old Patricia is able to point out um their favorite sites at the moors which is like who knew that anyone would have a favorite site at a bog but they do. Um, and police begin to immediately search the area and almost immediately they find an arm bone protruding, um, which was identified as that of ten year old Downey, um, whose body was still visually identifiable. And then her mom has to go and identify uh the body and uh the clothing which has been buried in the grave. Which is like, ugh, this is the worst thing that I can imagine ever happening. Um So among the suitcase um, they found earlier was more photographic proof of multiple murders. There's one um, photo of Myra crouching over John Kilbride's grave on the Saddleworth Moor with her dog, Puppet. Like, she's holding Puppet. Like, poor Puppet. Like, what is Puppet Seen? puppet has seen way too much puppets done puppet Puppet does want to be adopted but so many of the photographs taken by the couple do feature puppet um sometimes of puppet as a puppy which leads detectives to get a veterinary surgeon to examine the dog to determine his age um now this veterinary examination required a general anesthetic from which puppet died which is really mm-hmm. sad I know like oh, I know hard, like, a puppet like occasion. he didn't even get a chance like not only did he have to live with this like psychotic couple but then he dies because they have to tr- it's just it's just nothing's going right and then Myra was so furious um, she accuses the police of murdering her dog which the police said was one of the few occasions that de- detectives witnessed any emotional response from her like can you imagine like she's murdered all of these people like raped and murdered these children and they see nothing and then the only time they see anything is when she finds out that her dog is dead which rightfully so with any dog
1: yeah i mean i guess they say that like yes some people connect better with animals but like this is
0: a whole yeah different level. but then also like mostly these kind of killers are kill animals growing up like i know that i i think i read that ian brady killed animals as a child um so it's yeah yeah, so it's interesting that she loves dogs but also adolf hitler loved dogs so maybe that's why she did because she's so fond of nazis (laughs) (laughs) so this this bitch myra writes to her mother I feel as though my heart's been torn to pieces. I don't think anything could hurt me more than this. The only consolation is that some moron might have got hold of Puppet and hurt him. Which doesn't even make sense. Does it? How is that that a consolation? don't (laughs) Don't know. Yeah okay so they the two this this couple go to trial and the trial lasts 14 days in which both brady and myra plead not guilty (laughs) um classic then the 16 minute tape recording of downey with brady and myra's voices all over it is played in open court and on may 6th after a two-hour deliberation the jury finds them both guilty of three of the murderers because they couldn't find two of the bodies, which I'll get into. And they are both okay. sentenced to life imprisonment because during the trial, um, the death penalty was taken off of the... It was uh, abolished. Um, so yeah. since their arrests, um, newspapers have been keen to connect them to other missing children and teenagers from the area And way later now in 1985, Brady allegedly tells a journalist working for the Sunday people that he killed Reed and Bennett, um, which the police already suspected. And um, yeah. So the Manchester police reopened the investigation on February 10th, 1987. And then Myra finally confesses to her involvement in all five of the murders, even though she, they've both only gone to prison for three of the murders. Um, in her version of the murders, she says that she was never actually there for any of the killings she was either um in the bathroom in the kitchen over the brow of the hill which i thought maybe you'd like that one <laughs> okay no cool wonderful she's just like peering over the brow of the hill, just peering over what yeah she's just children. like taking all in oh. the wind is blowing the you know it's very <laughs> wuthering heights-esque and she's just like she, she's like i only
1: peered at him like i, I was just I peering over
0: the brow of the hill yeah um it <laughs> does it um the investigator said that he felt he had witnessed a great performance rather than a genuine confession Um, so the police then visit Brady in prison and they tell him, Hey, Myra has just confessed to the murder of you both killing Reed and Bennett. Um, and at first Brady is like, there's no way that she would do that to me. Um, but then they present Brady with all of the details that Myra has given. And he's like, Oh fuck. Okay. She really did confess. Um, quote joking. I don't know what he actually said. Um, It's not fun. Um, Yeah. Um, And he says that he will confess on the one condition that he will be allowed to commit suicide, which they're like, no, dude, no. Like, just tell us, we're not going to let you kill yourself. Um, And so during, um, during the time of Myra's arrest um, to 15 years later, she was brought to the Moors twice to try to help and search for the missing bodies of Reed and Bennett. And on one July, after more than a hundred days of searching, they find Reed's body three feet below the surface. Um, and so then Brady is then also taken to the Moors to help, but the search is called off after a large crowd of press and TV reporters gather and, um, Bennett's body has never been recovered it's never been found which I imagine is just like the absolute worst yeah it's just
1: yeah it doesn't give the family an
0: opportunity Mm to like to mourn and yeah Mm -hmm. awful just I know so um during um Brady's imprisonment he worked with a psychiatrist and was diagnosed as a psychopath which okay yeah um in prison, Brady goes on a hunger strike, but then is force-fed with a tube and transferred to another hospital for tests after he falls ill. But Brady recovers, and in March of 2000, he asks, asks for a judicial review of the legality of the decision to force-feed him, but he's, been, he's refused permission. And he says, Myra gets the potentially fatal brain condition whilst I have to fight simply to die. I have had enough. I want nothing. My objective is to die and release myself from this once and for all. So you see, my death strike is rational and pragmatic. I'm only sorry I didn't do it decades ago. And I'm eager to leave this cesspit in a coffin. Like, why don't you just kill yourself before you killed any kids then? Yeah. save a lot of lives. Um, in 2001, Brady writes a book called the gates of Janice Jana yeah um, and that is published by a US underground publisher called feral house which is pretty apropos of a name of the only publisher that would like probably take him um, the book yeah. is entails his analysis of serial murderers and specific serial killers which sparks an outrage when this is announced in the UK Um, And so then in 2006, officials intercepted 50 paracetamol pills hidden inside a hollowed out crime novel, which had been sent to Brady by a female friend. So he's like still trying to kill himself. He's been trying to kill himself for ages. Um, The mother of the remaining undiscovered victim, Keith Bennett received a letter from Brady at the end of 2005, in which she said that Brady claims he could take police to within 20 yards of her son's body. But, the authorities wouldn't allow it
1: yeah at this stage like this is really similar to like um the fred and rose west case like they're obviously like quite a famous killer couple but fred west did a lot of this like he just wanted days out and he said if you take me there i'll show you where
0: the bodies are but he's really just wants yeah it must be alive right which is like which is the worst thing that you could do. Like, I'll let you know where your dead son is if you let me out for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think I know. I remember Fred West and wait, Fred West, Fred and Rose West. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fred and Rose West. They actually are very similar to this couple. They're yeah. So
0: it's it's, very, <laughs> a lot couple, couple killers are so rare and so terrifying. It's like so scary when a woman is involved.
1: Yeah, it's it, they really do fascinate me because I'm like, yeah, there are fucked up people in the world, tell, but it's the fact these people find yeah. each other, like they find that one special person that's willing to like murder and rape
0: with you, like
1: let's do this. Yeah, together.
0: like I'm having trouble dating and I'm pretty normal, and these people find each other. <laughs> it's really,
1: uh, yeah. I think that's why they're, yeah, yeah, so and also
0: like most of these kids probably get in the car because there is a woman there so yeah
1: it's like a, they, they tend to just look like normal couples like they don't have anything that says like i'm yeah. on them. they're just yeah like, and they do yeah. look
0: normal um i'll i'll post photos of them on on the instagram um they yeah they just look normal normal nazis um Oh, gross. Um, so in 2012, Brady applies to be returned to prison, reiterating his desire to starve himself to death. Um, and a, at a mental health tribunal in June of 2013, this guy just keeps on living like we're from the 60s to 2013. Um, he claims that he suffered not of paranoid schizophrenia, as his doctors had said, but of a personality disorder and his application is rejected by a judge um, which stated that he continued to suffer from a mental disorder which is of a nature and degree which makes it appropriate for him to continue to receive medical treatment. Um, and here's some good news. After receiving end-of-life care, Brady dies of restrictive pulmonary disease on May 15, 2017. Yay. Um he is yeah. cremated without ceremony and his ashes are disposed of at sea during the night so get, yeah
1: he got the funeral yeah remembers.
0: bye brady um, meanwhile let's go back to myra just very briefly we're we're almost done with this story um so Myra con- uh, corresponded with Brady until 1971. So I think they were arrested in '65. So for six years, um, in 1971, she ends their relationship, um, and then she falls in love with one of her prison wardens, Patricia Kane's. <laughs> like, of course yeah, she does. I'm just like, how does this woman? How does she keep finding love? <laughs>
1: Just, she just tries. She tries hard. So she really is. She just like
0: is a chameleon. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, a former assistant governor claims that such relationships were not unusual in Holloway, which I guess is the prison um, at the time, as many of the officers were gay and or involved with either one another or the inmates. Um like what do they mean many of the officers were gay like what what does that matter
1: it's like a requirement yeah. to be like a male president officer you have yeah, to be yeah like oh yeah we're
0: not surprised about that because uh many of the people that work here are gay it's like who cares and I, yeah um in 1987 she admitted that the plea for parole she had submitted to the home secretary eight years earlier was quote on the whole, a pack of lies. So it's just trying to get out for just say anything. Um, On November 15th, 2002, Myra died at age 60. Um, She was admittedly a chain smoker. Um, Reportedly 20 local undertakers refused to handle her cremation. Which is like, nobody wanted to burn this bitch.
1: Yeah, no one
0: wants to be involved. Mm-mm. Um, four months later, finally, her ashes are scattered by her ex partner Patricia. God. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I think like what's worse, like is Myra worse or is Patricia worse for falling in love with someone who could do this?
1: Yeah, I I'm really yeah, Patricia's got bad
0: judgment. <laughs> like it's hard to But pa- Patricia that. shouldn't be allowed to work there. Anyway, um, still in 1987, Manchester City Council decided to demolish the house in which Brady and Myra lived on Wardlebrook Avenue. Just really can't say that. And also just a horrible name of a street, (laughs) Um, which is also where Downey and Evans had been murdered. Um, And to to finish this off, um, um, Myra was characterized by the press as the most evil woman in Britain she had made several appeals against her life sentence claiming she was a reformed woman and no longer a danger to society, but she was never released. Um, and just to sum it all up, um, she, she served 36 years in prison. Um, Brady diagnosed as a psychopath in 85. Um, he, he had made it clear that he never wished to be released and repeated, as I said, repeatedly asked to be allowed to die. Um, And uh, let's see, the murders were the result of what Malcolm McCullough, who is a professor of forensic uh, psychiatry at Cardiff University, called um, a, I'm not going to get this word right, concatenation, I need to read more, of circumstances, which is like what we were saying. How did these people find each other? Um, And the Mm -hmm. trial judge, Mr. Justice Fenton atkinson described brady and myra hindley in his closing remarks as two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity and their crimes were the subject of extensive worldwide media coverage um and and that that concludes the murder the more murders of ian brady and myra um hindley wow go I can't believe I've
1: never heard of that one it's yeah me either thing um just
0: yeah yeah they really
1: they really found they really found
0: each other in the midst of it all um and well yeah you're not you're not single so never mind but yeah (laughs) (laughs) I promise me and Matt won't yeah oh no I'm not even thinking yeah
1: we just want to live a normal life. we just want to you just
0: want him to come back from Amsterdam and just be in the same country as you, yeah,
1: I'm happy to just live in the same country like we don't we don't need to go yeah that's tree. fair
0: um, yeah, so that's that's them um, <laughs> <laughs> your turn <laughs>
1: my turn, I mean mine is definitely not any lighter um yeah it's two quite heavy stories but yeah let's let's see what we can do um yeah so as I said um the case I'm going to talk about is from my hometown Glasgow um I am really not sure if it's a case that's well known outside of Scotland um I feel like it's not that well known um But it's definitely something that, like, I grew up knowing about, like, essentially as um, the case is the killer um, known as Bible John, Um, we don't know his real (laughs) name, Um, but it's definitely like, I remember being um, as young as maybe like 10 and it would just be like a name that people would use. It was like kind of struck fear in everyone like Bible John was was infamous. Um, he was kind of operating in Glasgow, um, in the late sixties. Um, and around this time, my parents would have been in their, um, early teens. So they remember this, this time period really, really well.
0: Oh my God. Um,
1: they're kind of, yeah, like their brothers and sisters would have been the kind of within the age, the age bracket of like many of like Bible John's victims. So it was definitely something that was, um, a big part of their lives and everyone in Glasgow at the so, time.
0: So, your parents were just like around while this, which is a great name, Bible John.
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, let's go into like the Bible John part a little bit more because I guess it's like it's pretty strange. Um, but yeah, basically, the reason he got the name Bible John is because he apparently um, would quote the Bible to some of Bible verses to some of his victims. Um, and his final victim, he um, he kind of openly condemned adultery. <laughs> um, so he's really on his high horse. This guy, he's like adultery is not okay, but do you know what is okay? Murder. Um, so yeah, he he really leaned into the Bible um but yeah I I think what's also um what's been really quite interesting when I've been reading up on this um is how timely it kind of feels um I obviously everything that's went on um in Britain over the past month um with um the murder of Mm -hmm. Sarah Everard um and her going missing um there was definitely some things that really kind of came back around um one of the tactics used by police in this case um was to send kind of undercover police officers into um into the dance hall where um he would meet a lot of his victims um to try and stop attacks and just two weeks ago um British police were again suggesting that this could be one of the tactics to protect young women um and Britain and 2021 so it's it's really quite sad to think that like these attacks that happened in the 1960s like the police are still using like some of these kind of not very proven tactics to protect us now so just leave uh, us yeah, alone feel-
0: I know right like Um, no sorry go ahead i I was just gonna briefly say like i was like my my flatmate madeline and i just like try to get inside before it gets dark these days
1: yeah exactly like yeah i live with three other girls and we're exactly the same and anytime one of us is going to be out after dark it's very much like let Mm -hmm. us know where you're going and um yeah texas when you get there texas when you're leaving yeah
0: it shouldn't i mean It shouldn't have to be like, like, that's why from your, from your house the other day, I was like, I walked Dasha home and then she waited until I got in an Uber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's hear about this, this righteous Bible versing Bible verse killer. I love when someone brings religion into murder. It's yeah. It's yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so yeah, as I said, Bible John is an unidentified serial killer um, who is believed to have murdered three young women between 1968 and 1969. So we're looking at like a really short period of Mm -hmm. time. Um, But now more than 50 years on, um, police still haven't been able to identify the man in question um but before we kind of go into um talk about some of the victims um I just want to go over the fact that we we kind of do know about him mm. so he was described as a smartly dressed handsome young man I mean from the sketch <laughs> that we can post off instagram i
0: wouldn't personally say i saw example, the sketch,
1: but i'm pretty sure again like someone i listened to something about fred west before and he was described as handsome and i'm like Are it's you the same cutting? thing with
0: ted bundy being described as handsome i'm like N- no <laughs> or ha- <laughs> like have our standards of beauty change i mean yeah they have changed but like come on but, that much. but not that much yeah the sketch is pretty funny uh, we'll, we'll put it up
1: but yeah um, so yeah, he was spotted with all three young women at the Barrowland Ballroom, which was a popular dance hall venue in the 60s. Um, it's actually somewhere that I would go to like a gig in Glasgow nowadays, but um, at that time it was very much like live bands, lots of kind of late teens, early 20s doing the <laughs> jive type thing. <laughs> That's more the vibe. Uh, um, And despite being seen with all three um, women by multiple witnesses, um, the man has never been caught or identified. Mm. He also um, seemed to have a very clear victim of mind when planning his attacks, with um, each of the victims having brunette hair, um, being between
0: the ages of 25 and 32. Maybe that's why Myra dyed her hair blonde. Yeah. Because she was around there. I mean during that no she was in prison by that time (laughs) (laughs) she's just a nazi
1: but honestly yeah i think um that's kind of one of the things anecdotally like later i know this is this is definitely was a thing in britain across multiple cases but women were in so much fear that they would dye their hair different colors if they knew that like there was a killer out there going for women of a certain type um, yeah, they would dye their hair the opposite color in case that would kind of protect them. Which again, like putting the onus on women right. to protect themselves. Help yourself. We won't. Yeah,
0: you have to do it yourself. Yeah. We're not going to do it. We're not going to help you. Sorry for the men.
1: I know. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to talk about um, Bible John's first victim, um, Patricia Docker. So on February and twenty second. 22nd 1986 um 25 year old auxiliary nurse um, patricia docker decided she needed a night out she had had like a really busy week um she just wanted to have some fun um so she left her young child with her parents got dressed up and told them she was going out dancing at the majestic ballroom Mm -hmm. We're not um, exactly sure why, but at some point um, on her way to the Majestic Ballroom, Patricia changed her mind and she decided to go to the Barrowland Ballroom instead. Um, basically, not a great deal um, is known about her movements throughout that night. Um, the only thing that's ca- kind of can be confirmed by witnesses was that she did arrive at the Barrowland Ballroom that night, um, but she never returned home. Ugh. So the next day on February 23rd, um, a man named Maurice Goodman, who lived very close to Patricia, was walking to his garage and he found lying in the doorway the body of a young woman completely unclothed. Mm. He um, immediately ran back in his house and called the police. Um, the, the young woman had been strangled with a ligature, um, but there was no kind of ligature or weapon found around the body um, but the pathologist had suggested that it was either it, it's probably either been a belt or one of the kind of things that starts to emerge that the woman might have actually been um, strangled with her own like her nylons oh. like her tights um, which I think again is like something that's that's quite common in like sexualized yeah. Um. yeah so that's something that the, we'll see again and again okay. so um, although the body was found unclothed there were no signs of sexual assault um, and basically like the entire area was um, was searched surrounding areas but no clothes or personal belongings were found at all so based on this the police um, really strongly believed that the murder took place elsewhere and then Patricia's body was brought to that site for whatever reason and then um, he kept
0: the, the clothes. The fact that wasn't. it was a
1: neighbor yeah and the fact that it was a neighbor though suggests that he obviously had an idea of where she lived um so
0: yeah Yeah like he must have been watching her obviously. leave her house and then so he dropped her dead mm-hmm. body back off at home
1: Yeah basically to one of the neighbors gardens <sighs> Um, So another um, kind of detail that comes up again and again in these cases was that Patricia was um, menstruating at the time of her death. Um, Police made a note of this, but they kind of thought little of it, um, but it kind of came to be of greater importance later on Mm. in the case um one of the really sad things about this case in particular was that police lost a lot of valuable time at the beginning of their investigation because they thought that patricia had went to the majestic ballroom um so they were obviously interviewing people that were there that night um and it took them quite a few days to realize that she hadn't actually <laughs> gone there
0: yeah it's very, all it's always sorry. the the police are like oh oh sorry like how does that take them days to realize wouldn't they have anyway it... oh it's so yeah, so infuriating
1: so yeah they basically continued to investigate but there was basically no evidence to go on um the murder was kind of went unsolved um and was almost forgotten um until a year year and a half later. Um, when the killer, um, Bible John, would strike again. So the second victim, um, her name is Jemima MacDonald, This okay. must sound incredibly
0: Scottish in my accent. Um, yeah, I mean, everything, you say, but, everything yeah. you say sounds incredibly Scottish to me.
1: <laughs> um, so on August 16th, 1969, so as I said, um, a year and mm-hmm. a half later, 32-year-old mother of three, Jemima MacDonald, um, left her kids with her sister Margaret as she headed out for a night dancing at the Barrowland Ballroom. Mm-hmm. She was seen um, on the dance floor with a man in a blue suit. So again, this is where we're getting these kind of descriptions as of him being well-dressed
0: and handsome. That's where she, she went wrong. Um, he had a, bl- a blue suit. I mean, maybe... it really depends, but... <laughs> it was the sexy. it was but uh, it was probably velvet as well let's be honest I wouldn't mind that these days if a guy was in a velvet blue suit I mean I guess it would depend if you know it yeah yeah Yeah. sorry I I could I could just right now I could (laughs) see myself going off on a tangent about that but so I'm gonna stop myself (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) So the man was described as tall with short, fair hair and was aged in his late 20s to early 30s. She was seen leaving the um, ballroom with the same man um, and um, slowly strolling away into the night. And that was the last time that Jemima would be seen alive. Okay. The next day, um, Jemima's sister Margaret was starting to become really concerned. Um, as Jemima had failed to come and collect her children the following day. Of course she's left her three children with um her sister. So her sister's like, When are you coming? To yeah, like kids? I'm done with
0: these three kids um, right now. Like
1: oh <laughs> Exactly. I probably she probably has like four of her own kids oh, to deal with She's like, sexies. I have somewhere
0: to be but she really doesn't have a summer to be. She just doesn't want. Okay, Sarah, go ahead. <laughs> um.
1: So as the day passed, um, Margaret overheard some children from the the neighborhood talking about um a body that had been discovered at a derelict building nearby. Mm. Um. She asked one of the kids um for directions to the abandoned building um and she kind of had this this dreaded feeling that it could be her sister and of course it was no. um like Patricia um Docker Doc Jemima had been strangled um again they suspect that this was probably with her own tights Jemima however was not found naked um she was fully clothed clothed but her handbag was missing hmm. Police also discovered that Jemima had been menstruating at the time of her death. What is
0: this guy's fascination with girls' periods?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. It's kind of it's it's so interesting. Like, how would he know? Like, Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's just a huge coincidence, but it's weird because it continues. Yeah, how
0: would he know? I mean, I yeah. No, I was gonna make a bad joke. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I barely know, but no, I definitely know because I start crying like days before and I'm like what? what's wrong with me and then I start just Yeah, and chance, then I get my like, period you know? and I'm like surprise every month I'm surprised still. And I'm like what of course that's what it is, Rachel. You're not this crying little bitch. Like you just got your period, that's all. It's not really you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Claire. Um
1: yeah. So again Police um questioned like the locals. They questioned everyone that they could from the Barrowlands ballroom that night. Um, but this turned up very little information. Um, so their next tactic was to um stage a reenactment um to try and yeah I guess like get yeah remind people um that might have seen mm-hmm. her that night. Um, they dressed a female officer in similar clothing to Jemima, um, that she had worn that night, and retraced her final hours. Um, but sadly, yet again, this um, didn't turn up any suspects, and I don't know if this is a tactic that's used nowadays. It, it feels,
0: yeah, it's not something you hear of. That I mean, often. or maybe we just don't know about it because they're not going to tell us. Like, the police aren't going to tell us what kind of tactics they're, tactics they're using because mm-hmm. if the public knows, then the potential killer will be kind of, like, on the lookout for that. Like, I, I'm sure that there's – I mean, undercover cops is for sure a thing. I'm sure that there's many female detectives or police officers who have to, like, pretend or, like, go undercover as prostitutes or – and put put themselves yeah. in danger uh to try to i mean i've i've seen enough csi to know <laughs> should i hang up now okay so yeah
1: bye <laughs> this was great <laughs> um yeah so well um sell very much at the height of the investigation um into the murder of uh, mcdonalds um bible john made his third attack so we've actually seen a year and a half go by between murder one and murder two but this time he is yeah he's obviously just wants that that thrill again and i i think this is again quite common Mm -hmm. that the more confident that um yeah these men get and like their and what they're doing the the more frequently they're gonna attack yeah totally so um the third um victim's name is Helen Pussock. Um again, just like um just like the first two victims, um she wanted to go out on a fun night out with her friends. Um but this time of course they have just had the recent news um of a woman being attacked after a night at, a night out at the Barrowland Ballroom. So Helen's husband um, was actually very wary of her going out. Um, she he kind of warned her to be careful um, because of the recent murder. Um, but on the night of October thirtieth, um, nineteen sixty eight, Helen decided she she would go out. Wow. Um, she said she would she would be fine. She wasn't going alone. She would be with her sister Jean. Um and they promised that they would stay together and they wouldn't be separated. Oh no! So, yeah, so the two sisters made their way to the bowerlands um, and apparently had a really fun night dancing. Um, according to um Jean, her sister, um, kind of halfway through the night, um, her sister started dancing with a tall young man. Blue suit? Um, there was there was no blue suit specified, but we're assuming it's the same tall young man.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so as midnight approached, um, Jean and Helen decided it was time to make their way home. Um, and it was this point that the man offered to um, take the pair home in a taxi. So during the ride home, um, the man revealed his name was John he also stated that he had been raised in a very religious household um and okay he, he, yeah I mean just casual night out chat. <laughs> you're like a bit drunk and he's like yeah I'm very religious buddy. and you're
0: like come on I'm just trying like oh why did I t- get in this uber it's like the uber driver yeah. that keeps talking to you and you're like I, I have my <laughs> headphones in john 316 yeah, basically
1: like Due to this upbringing, he was able to quote scripture off um, by heart, and he did that for them, (laughs) um, which is super okay. Thanks. Um, (laughs) He also, um, there was a couple of just, like, details here that Jean was able to recall the next day, uh, um, that basically he mentioned that he had um, a sister, and he also mentioned that he had a cousin who had recently hit a hole in one at golf. (laughs) Which is like a very weird fact. This guy's chat is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, like... <laughs> but the um the police were obviously like just taking whatever they could, and yeah. they they did actually try to use this information down the line, which is a strange tactic. Um. So as the taxi dropped Jean off, um, and she said goodbye to her sister, she waved her off, um, and she
0: yeah basically drove off into the night with John. Oh right. I, I was um, trying to think like how is this how is she gonna end up alone with this guy if they're together. Yeah,
1: so this again would be the last time um Jean would ever see her sister alive. Hmm. So the next morning a man was walking his dog and discovered the body of Helen um Pussock like Patricia and Jemima it was revealed that Helen had been strangled with a ligature um again it was suspected this was probably her own tights mm-hmm. um and again Helen was menstruating
0: what the hell
1: so strange i it's just the one detail that i'm like obsessed with i don't understand it
0: yeah i'm obsessed with yeah. it too why yeah, is he so obsessed <laughs> how does he know <laughs> yeah like he has a sex sense for it
1: it's horrible like I don't even yeah it's kind of creepy um so yeah Helen had been and left in a really similar way to Jemima fully dressed and with her handbag missing however there was one major difference um the killer had decided to move Helen's sanitary towel mm. and place it under one of her
0: armpits okay mm. yeah what does that mean I wish I knew.
1: Um for the first time Bible John um had left real clothes at the murder um site. Um so at this point we've actually got more for um the police to go on. So firstly he had left a bite mark on her body and he had left a semen stain on her clothing. Ooh um of course because these murders happened um in the late 60s um the kind of testing wasn't there mm-hmm. um, like dna testing wasn't there um but it's it was preserved and it was something that could be used later down the line which i think is actually quite good like foresight by them yeah. um i don't think, i don't think that was done very often to be honest yeah so yeah yeah um so it was reported um and a few newspapers at the time um that the detective in charge of the murders joe bt um was actually of the opinion that bible john was a media creation and he believed that the murders were not by done by the same person and there was never any evidence to directly um link the three murders to one man who said this i think, um the joe joe beaty who was the lead detective the lead
0: detective thinks that these three women who are all murdered in the same way while they're on their periods is done by in glasgow in glasgow yeah. is all by somebody different
1: yeah which again like i think this was quite typical like in those days, they just they didn't want this like crisis on their hand. They wanted to like de-escalate the situation. They didn't want if people thought
0: there was a serial killer in the the loose, like they're yeah, gonna go so you know running this? through the streets, flailing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, get this guy think, out of here.
1: Yeah, I mean, just like on paper, like we've got so many similarities. Mm-hmm. All three had been seen leaving the and Ballroom, mm-hmm. um, with with a with a. A tall man, whatever, wearing a blue suit, maybe not. Um, Some kind of. All three women were menstruating at the time of their deaths. Um, all three victims' handbags were missing when their body was found. All three were strangled with a ligature. Um, and all three victims' bodies were found close to their homes. So we have five things there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You are on the case.
1: <laughs> I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm the lead detective. You are the lead detective
0: on this case now. Okay. I'm really excited to to hear what happens. Okay, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so let's go on to the investigation itself. Um the the investigators released as much information as they could on the case to the public and the press. Um which interesting tactic. Um, but this was of, of course on the hope of getting a lead um on the killer. Um, and the media were the ones that actually kind of gave him the nickname "Bible John."
0: It's a great name. Which, of course, of course they did.
1: Um, <laughs> now, going back to the the golf course hole in one point.
0: Yes, um, please. Police,
1: police visited golf courses around the Glasgow area, in the hope of um, finding a member that had had a recent hole in one because obviously it is quite rare and if they found this guy then he could potentially be the um, cousin of Bible But of course, they didn't
0: track anyone down but they gave it a try. Everyone's like, oh, no, I've been trying. I wish it was me but I've got a birdie. also...
1: (laughs) police also visited um dentists um because helen um had mentioned in some of her interviews that the man in the taxi had a really bad overlapping tooth um it was quite distinctive um and they just yeah they basically went to dentists to see if any of their patients fit this profile and
0: there was the bite mark on
1: her right yeah yeah so it was kind of yeah those things combined um but again like i don't know medical information like how much they could have actually had access to that but it was it's quite a far stretch i would mm. think um so for the first time um in the history of um a scottish murder investigation um police also decided to release um a sketch of the suspect (laughs) to the media which we've we've previously discussed the sketch is like Um, looks
0: like a three-year-old like they were just like here you go um mommy's gonna go out and get some wine and i'll be back and like the kid just like here's some crayons and the kid just drew a circle with like two dots like (laughs) it's like how could anyone identify anyone from this sketch i mean
1: it's the most generic looking thing ever and again like i'm the they they get it was accompanied by a description which is basically so many men um the only thing is like maybe the height i i feel like there's not that many tall men
0: in glasgow oh (laughs) is there not
1: so um yeah male 25 to 30 years old medium build six feet tall um short light reddish hair fuck Blue gray eyes, um an over overlapping tooth in the upper right of the mouth, and a military style wristwatch. I mean, what you're describing d- doesn't
0: sound like a super hot guy. Aside from the wristwatch, I'm I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. What was the last thing? That you said?
1: Um. Oh no. I yeah. The description
0: finished with the
1: the wristwatch. Okay. Um but the thing was this then led to more than 4000 tip offs that people claiming they knew this man because of course it was the most generic description and drawing in the world like there's nothing overly distinctive about this guy he doesn't have like a mole or a birthmark or anything so yeah there was basically 4000 um tip offs <sighs> which i think just creates more work for the police and yeah,
0: basically probably put them behind in the investigation, if we're being honest. Maybe if they drew a Bible next to the sketch, people would be able to identify him better. <laughs> <laughs> He's like one of those weird guys that preaches in the street. Yeah, I mean, those guys are really scary. The ones that have like the signs. They're all, over, they're all over L.A. You're just like, what do you do? Do you have anything else to do? <laughs> like nobody's, nobody's changing their life based off of you. No. Mm-hmm
1: um this was one of the details that i really hated about the case because i feel like um helen who became the main kind of witness in the entire case really had to do so much work um and she was like such a yeah she was such a great witness she did all she could for the police to help them out but she was asked over 250 times um to look at suspects they believed might be a match
0: this Um, is the sister
1: right yeah, the sister of the final victim, it's, um, who shared the taxi yeah. on that night. It's such
0: a ballsy thing for this guy to then kill the sister, knowing that he left, yeah, his, a, a living sister like who definitely could identify him. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, that's again, he's like growing in confidence, yeah, so, um, yeah, we can see that <laughs> so. Um, she yeah. So over two hundred and fifty times, she had to um, yeah, like basically say that this wasn't the guy. Um, and all in all, police took over fifty thousand statements on the case, did a reenactment for TV, and had over a hundred officers working on the case at one point or another. So they they really did try. Yeah. Um, And as the 60s came to an end, so did much of the interest in the murders um, from the public. Um, With no arrests made um, and very little in the way of Leeds, um, the Bible John murders would basically go cold. Um, Which, yeah, I think is quite common. Nothing's happening. The media loses interest and therefore the public stops talking about Mm -hmm.
0: it. Which is really sad.
1: Yeah. So nothing um, much else would happen or be reported for 14 years um, until we get to 1983 Mm. um, and a Glasgow man who used to attend the Barrowlands Ballroom um, claimed he knew who the killer was. And only recently after reading an article with the description and the police sketch of the man um, suspected of being Bible John, he came forward. He basically claimed that it was an old school friend who he'd grown up with and he knew that this man also spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the man actually hired a private investigator um, to look for his former friend um, and he was eventually tracked down. I'm not sure what the private investigator was doing if the police mm-hmm. maybe weren't taking the guy seriously. Um, and at this point, we're of course 15 years later, are the police really going to spend a lot yes. of time investigating it? But anyway, the guy, yeah, the guy's like tracked down. He's living in the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, the private investigator and get, investigator goes out there and um, interviews him. Um, but he basically had some like super strong um, alibi and yeah he basically was like there was just no more interest in him
0: do we think it was it's like him?
1: such a weird yeah I mean it could be like there I couldn't actually even find the name of this man out there of course like I don't think the media right. would unless have been he was to a really strong suspect um, or they
0: arrested him or something
1: yeah yeah um so that's literally all I could find in this guy um But yeah, I think some of the more interesting developments Mm. were around DNA. We, of course, kind of mentioned that DNA had been collected at the time. So um, we're all the way in the 90s um, before this could actually be used. It wasn't until 1996 um, that the police kind of claimed that they had had their first breakthrough with DNA. It was a, for a man named John M. Um, he was being considered um, a suspect and apparently had a really <laughs> strong
0: resemblance to the sketch. Oh my God, I it, imagine he, he, he must like. just be in 2D. Walking around in 2D. <laughs> we found him.
1: <laughs> so it turns out the man in question had actually been seen as part of a lineup that Helen's sister... Um, Jean Mm -hmm. had seen many years before and she had kind of adamantly said that no it wasn't the man but the police basically have always considered him a person of interest um yeah I'm I'm not sure why they kind of continued to pursue that if she a person who had actually sent but do you think like if they were out dancing and
0: drinking do you think like Jean was could like could have been a bit drunk and Mm -hmm. not really I don't know. I mean poor Jean. She has to give like all these statements to the police about her sister. And like she must feel so guilt. Yeah. And like just so guilty because she's the last one. And like she was like, bye Helen like let this guy drive her home. Oh. I know.
1: Um yeah that's gene is like just like absolutely in this story yeah yeah another one of the victims of the whole thing it's so awful um yeah so due to the advances in uh, dna technology Mm -hmm. the police tested the semen um against that of one of john m's siblings um but unfortunately for the police (sighs) these tests came back inconclusive yeah um but apparently the police continued to have a strong belief um and that man um um oh sorry i've missed a part here the reason that he they tested his siblings yeah yeah. Um, yeah. so they tested um one of his siblings and they were so strong in believing that he was the guy that they actually got a court order for his body to be exhumed so that they could take Did a direct they? sample for comparison. Yep. So police um were given permission um and they exhumed the body of John M um, and during um during this time and all of this happening, um his identity was leaked to the media and suddenly it became really, really big news throughout Scotland. Um this really sad side of this is John M's um, wife and family and children mm. were then hounded by the media um, and every single little bit of um, dirt was dug up on John um, and put all over the, ple- the press. Um, so, again, we're just getting more and more victims of this crime. It's like very unfair in the family. But of course, this had to be mm-hmm. um, this had to be checked so the testing took um much longer than expected and um the, yeah the the basically the family had to go through all of this with the press um for several months um and then basically the police came out to say that the dna dna testing had failed to provide a link oh between the, um, the suspect and John M <sighs> yeah So the government actually went as far to issue an apology to the family of John M um, for the pain and suffering caused by the events. Um, And Jean, um, again, the the last victim's sister, also released a statement shortly after saying that she had repeatedly told police that John M was not the man she shared a taxi with that night. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, not Mm-mm. not a good case for DNA that one, um, but yeah, we've we've got another another DNA link. Um, a couple of years later, and um, 2004. Um, so it was revealed that DNA um, taken from a recent arrest was an 80% match to the semen DNA left on the clothing of Helen Pusick. Um, The name was never released um, but it was believed that the man arrested wasn't himself a suspect but that the police strongly believed that someone in the individual's family may have well been Bible John um dna samples from several family members were taken but no suspects came of the testing and no arrests were ever made oh
0: my god so
1: again we've just got so many like near chances and nothing comes. you're gonna have
0: to solve this crime
1: um yes i know it's so frustrating the more i read into it i know it is really sad when the media
0: just like takes over the fam and like just you know um perches outside of their house and like you know drags them in with it and then the then people who subsequently um hound like the you know hate the family that i think that was the same thing for myra's sister maureen um she i didn't like say it but she was like afraid Mm -hmm. for her kids lives when they were when they were little like they yeah everyone was hating on her and her husband smith who Smith is the one that stopped it, but, or he didn't stop it. He, he went and told the police, but I mean, what do you do when someone's standing with a hatchet? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It's, um, but yeah, now I guess that's like kind of as far as the investigation goes, as far as, um, yeah, what, what the police were able to do. Um, But the last thing I wanted to talk about was just kind of, some um one of the biggest theories on who Bible John might be um I'm not sure if you will have heard of this case um but there's he's basically one of the most famous Scottish serial killers of all time Um, oh yes his name is Peter Tobin yeah so completely like infamous um killer and sex offender um he is now 74 and serving three life sentences um, in a prison in Edinburgh for the murder of three young women and again these are all kind of young women um, between the age of 15 and 23 and they happened between 1991 and 2006 so yeah much later on um, but he does kind of he does fit the age profile that he would have needed to be for. Did they did they um, DNS
0: Peter? Yeah, uh, DNA test yeah. Peter Tobin.
1: I don't think maybe they well, maybe I okay. Oh no, that's what I, I'm going to come on to due to like mm-hmm. I'll skip ahead to that just while we're on the topic. But basically, due to poor storage and erosion over time, um, the Fuck. police um. There, there's basically the dna samples are like gone to nothing they've already tested them they don't think there is enough to be able to yeah basically oh, test against God. everything
0: is just wrong
1: yeah so even if they do get more leads along the line i think like yeah the dna is not it's not where it needs to be all these years later and yeah i don't maybe maybe it'll never be solved um but yeah, basically um, the the main reason that um, people believe is uh, it could be Peter Tobin um, was there was just like a couple of, yeah, there was a couple of um, things that kind of came out. Um, one woman came forward to say that in 1968, she had met Tobin in the Barrowland Ballroom um, oh. and he went on to rape her. So, yeah. Another woman also came forward and said she too remembered um, meeting with Peter Tobin and the Barrowlands um, when he became aggressive and threatening towards her. And um, when she refused to leave the Barrowlands to go to a party um, um, elsewhere, um, yeah, he was basically like left in a rage. But he was he was trying to get her to leave and she just was not she was not interested um, another interesting point is that Tobin actually met his first wife in the Barrowland ballrooms, and the same year that Bible the Bible John oh. murders um, ended, so
0: he had to take a break. Oh, I just googled mm. Peter Tobin. Let, let's see what he looks like young. I remember him. He's such a freak. Didn't he? Is it yeah. him or is it someone else who like um, killed someone in a church and then like hid their body underneath?
1: Peter, mm, yeah that might Peter be Tobin young guy. Guy. yeah, that could be, because to... yeah, I know I know that character that's definitely like a famous oh, Scottish I mean, yeah, guy, so I guess like him. he
0: could be seen as handsome ish as a young guy, especially if he had the blue suit on, <laughs> I mean, yeah, what a yeah. freak, I mean, yeah, different, different, different times you know? but yeah, if Peter Tobin. He was born in 46, so that would make him definitely the same age that you were saying. Mm -hmm. So a
1: really nice way to round this off, I guess, is that we've just had a very recent development on the whole Peter Tobin thing. Um, On the 5th of March, (sighs) like this year, Um, multiple newspapers in Scotland um, published claims that Peter Tobin had been speaking out to a fellow prisoner Um, he's basically now dying of cancer, he doesn't have much time left Um, but he has basically spoken out to a fellow prisoner and has said um, that he wants to get things off his chest he has killed other people Um, but he is saying that he is not Bible John. He's saying he's killed other people, but, quote, I'm not Bible John. (sighs) So he's... I'm kind of... It's one of those weird ones, because it's like, can you trust a man that has knowingly killed multiple women? But if he's ready to admit to other murders,
0: like, why not those? I don't know. Bible John. So that... That was a great story. Thank you. Like you told yeah, it really well.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. I, uh, thank you. Um, I yeah. I would obviously, of course, love if like more information would come out. Um, yeah, maybe that's one of those things. Like another. Yeah, maybe ten they'll years have some the
0: some answers. You're having like a nice dinner with your flatmates tonight, right?
1: Yeah. Well, we were hoping to have a barbecue, but like the sun's really just not not came out, so. Maybe we just oh. cook outside and then eat inside. But yeah, and it's the start of a. Oh yeah. The end, so Tonight's I'm like a
0: Friday night. Thank you for coming on and telling your Bible John story. Thank you for having me,
1: and um, yeah, I can't wait to hear <laughs> what you think of t- it. My, my, my Don't you summer. worry, I'm
0: going to be done in like a half hour or something. <laughs> I'll I'll text you. Um, but yeah, this this I'll I'll um I'm going to put this out on Monday. So I'll I'll see if I have to edit out me sneezing, me answering the door me asking meaningless things to me laughing at things that aren't funny kind of my own jokes but okay everyone thanks for listening um and claire thanks for coming on and being my first guest